Welcome, 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 everybody, to this week's episode of New Perspectives, the Northeastern University Political Reviews podcast. My name is Max Huber, and I am the NUPR podcast director. On this week's episode, I am joined via Zoom by Beza Zeneba, one of the co-managing editors at NUPR, to discuss her recent piece, Japan's Vicious Death by Overwork Cycle. You can find her piece online at nupoliticalreview.com under the global section. Let's get right into the show. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the New Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Max Huber, he, him, his pronouns. And this week, we're going to be speaking with Beza Zaneba about her article, Japan's Vicious Death by Overwork Cycle. Beza, if you could please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Beza. Uh, she, her, her pronouns. I am a fourth year political science major, and I'm also one of the co-managing editors at Nuper. Fantastic. I'm so glad to have you on this week. I read your piece last week about Japan's vicious death by overwork cycle, and it was it's something that I had heard of before, but it was very interesting to see it fleshed out in more detail. Now, for the, the listeners at home, could you give us a little quick summary of, of the article and what you learned researching this issue? Yeah, of course. So when I started writing this piece, I originally set out to discuss this term that's called Kuroshi, and it literally translates to death by overwork. And it was something that I also had heard about before I started my dialogue, um, which I did with doctors Vecino and Gardner. And it was something that I was shocked was a problem. It just didn't really seem mm-hmm. fathomable or it didn't really make sense to me that people were just dropping dead from overworking. I myself am someone who has a habit of overworking, so it mm-hmm alarmed me on so many levels. And so I decided I wanted to figure out why people in Japan were working themselves to death. And essentially, the answer is partially because of the culture around work, and partially because Japan has a huge labor shortage, which also worsens the issue. So culturally, it is seen as kind of an honor to be working long hours, to be contributing to your team, to your company. And your identity is very much so associated with your career. And so for people, they feel obligated to work long hours. On the other hand, there's also this pressure to work long hours because of this labor shortage where there aren't enough people to fill all of the jobs. So people have to pick up the slack. And what happens is people are working longer hours, either by taking more overtime or by doing it of their own free will. Um, And they are working themselves above this threshold, which is the Kuroshi line, which is set to 80 overtime hours a month. And they're working themselves so beyond that threshold that they start dealing with health repercussions, which can be um, mental health illnesses, 
whether that's um, depression, anxiety, um, you know, other related issues, or they may deal with heart problems. Um, and so people end up dying from suicide. Um, they die from heart attacks. They die from strokes. They die from sleep de deprivation. So this is really a big problem. And it's something that the Japanese government hasn't done enough to address. So I wanted to lay out what the problem was, why it was happening, why the government hasn't done enough, and then try to pivot towards how the government could actually address the problem, which would be to address that labor shortage and to implement, whether that's reform or implement more um, policies that encourage people to actually take time off. And that means you have to change that culture, that company culture and that work culture that is driving people into work anyway. Yeah, it was, it's alarming to think when, when you say people are literally dropping dead from overwork, it's, it can be quite that, them dropping dead due to a heart attack or a sudden stroke, which is, it's it, it, awful. There's really no other way to say it. Something that caught my interest, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about is Kuroshi and death by overwork. Is that something that is, it seems like it's pervasive in, at all levels of a company in Japan from the, the office lay people to the, the higher up executives. Is that the case? Yes. So this is not an issue that is specifically for one socioeconomic group or for one profession or for one industry. It is system, it's systemic and it has no boundaries. So it can be a teacher, it can be a janitor, it can be a CEO, it could be a politician, it could be a surgeon, it could be anyone. Um, and it can be someone who is in poverty and it can be the richest man or richest woman or richest person in Japan. Yeah. So really it goes all the way, all the way up throughout, which is yeah. devastating, I would say. And could you explain a little bit about what got you interested in researching this topic specifically? Yes. So for my dialogue, um, we had to focus on one specific policy area. And at first, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to explore. But the labor shortage was something that really fascinated me, not because it is a Japan specific problem, but because I've heard of labor shortages in countries throughout the world. And hearing about this issue kind of made me wonder what can be done to address when a population is on the decline. And so I started looking into that and it kind of started reminding me of the death by overwork that I had seen in YouTube videos or on the news. And I thought, wow, this would be a really good idea to explore the role the labor shortage has in worsening this crisis. And so I started researching that and I found a lot, you know, in my piece, I talk a bit about some of the cases that happened, the high profile cases, but this is something that affects, you know, tens of thousands of people. You know, it's not one person died this year and it's, you know, a scandal. It's something that is truly pervasive and it doesn't always lead just to death. It can lead to like, um, it can lead to lifelong 
debilitating uh, health conditions. For example, somebody may throw their back from overwork and now they are suddenly on disability and they have to spend the rest of their lives living that way, not being able to work. Someone else can have a heart attack and survive, but still have very serious long-term repercussions from that. So in that sense, it when you think about how many people suffer from work-related injuries or death in Japan from overwork, it isn't just the people who you know, end up dropping dead. It's also the people who are able to get back up in some level, but not ever to where they truly were. So that really got me interested and it really made me think, what is the government doing and how can the government address Kuroshi and the labor shortage and a host of other issues that are kind of in tandem with that. And for my ideas, I thought they had to address it in a couple of different ways. They could either use some of these solutions in tandem supplementally, or they can try to pick one or two and like focus on that. Um, and some of these ideas were to increase uh, female participation in the workforce, um, to increase youth participation in the workforce, to increase automation, to increase immigration. There are some ideas to also pull in more elderly workers and generally to improve efficiency and make sure that the workers that you do have are being productive because Japan actually has one of the lowest productivity scores out of all uh, OECD countries. That's, that's fascinating because the way Japan is portrayed in America and in American media, you would you would not think a country that has a death by overwork problem would be unproductive. You'd assume quite the opposite. Yeah, I think Japan is a really interesting case because, as you mentioned, Japan does have this kind of nature, this reputation of being a very hardworking country where people work very long hours and they die sometimes or suffer debilitating health conditions as a result of that. So it's interesting that that is what Japan is branded as and seen as. I can't speak for the world, but for, you know, Americans, for people here in the United States. But in reality, their productivity is the lowest in the OECD. So what ends up happening is people are not productive so they work longer hours to compensate for their inefficiencies and then they just become more inefficient because they are tired and they're suffering health conditions so it's another cyclical issue and i think what is interesting about japan and what's interesting about the piece that i wrote is that it's all just cycles and you're trying to find a spot to break it. And each of the solutions that I proposed have their own positives and negatives. And to be implemented, they need actual government action. They can't just be half-heartedly done. But even the solutions that I noted aren't necessarily going to address that cultural component. It's not necessarily going to encourage or drive workers to work less. Even if you give workers less hours, even if you tell them that they can take the day off, they're not going to do it because they feel an obligation to serve you and to take one for the team. So you quite literally have to force them to take days off. That means you have to shut down operations for a day, or that means you have to take their laptops and stuff so that way they cannot work. No kidding. Um, so it's, as we in America talk about this, 
it's providing rehab to workaholics. And you can tell a workaholic not to work, but if a workaholic has their laptop and has the ability to work, they're going to do it. So you have to pull them away and isolate them from their work so that they don't do it. And that's very difficult. (laughs) Yeah, that was something in your article, you brought up the Premium Friday program, which it in some companies, it was an optional ability for employees to leave a couple hours early on a Friday. Keyword being optional, which because it's a cultural problem, no one was going to take this optional benefit because, well, then you run the, the risk of looking like you're not as devoted to the company as the people who are sticking through and not taking this Premium Friday benefit. And as I was reading that, it immediately struck me as, Clearly, this wouldn't work. (laughs) It doesn't really address the problem at all. Yeah, and I also talked about how Japan expanded the number of national holidays. And that's the same problem, too, because people choose whether or not they want to take those holidays, and they're not. So what's interesting is if, for example, Japan kind of did what the U.S. government does with national holidays, where they close all their offices so government workers actually can't work, perhaps that program would find more success. But it's interesting because it's not necessarily going to be successful if they do that, because people can still work from home. So if someone is told you can't come into the office today, it's a national holiday, they still have their laptop, they still have their phone, they still have their information from work, they can easily just continue working from home. So there needs to be a very strong mechanism that not only keeps people out of the office, but also keeps them from their actual obligations and tasks. I know exactly what you mean. Throughout the the pandemic, I've been able to work from home at my co-op at a state agency in Massachusetts. And while I'm pretty good about not overworking, some of my supervisors who are, they're more tied to the organization than I am, they'll be up at six in the morning on their work laptop or sending emails at 7 p.m. at night after working a full day um, to the point that we, in our recent staff meeting, we did have to address this and tell people to remember that when five o'clock rolls around, the workday is over and it's important not to to let working from home ruin any work-life balance. Yeah, we've, I actually have the same problem at my co-op. Some of it is my fault because I definitely am the one beyond 5 p.m. So I have to be told a lot by my supervisor to stop working. But my supervisor is also pretty guilty of this. Um, One time he sent me an email at 2 in the morning. And I think it was pretty terrible that I was awake and able to reply to that email. (laughs) So that speaks kind of towards what overwork in America is like, but that's a clear problem that Mm -hmm. even though we have very strict hours, we still of our own free will choose to send emails and to chat with each other over Slack about work or schedule meetings in advance. Mm -hmm. So it's quite messy and it's quite hard to distinguish what is actual work and what is just, you know, something that you kind of have to do that's adjacent to your work and whether your shift 
ends at five or if, if it's okay you can extend to six like these are all very complicated issues for people and it's hard once you get into the habit to just stop yeah and that's something i wanted to, to talk with you about a little bit more in detail is when we when the western media portrays kiroshi and japan's overworking problem it's we notice how they really do focus on japan and how it it's portrayed as a unique issue to japanese culture when as we've both just anecdotally shared it's clearly a problem in america as well could you share a little bit about why you think it might be portrayed as such yeah i mean it's very interesting because if you actually look at which countries are working the most japan isn't even in the top 10 oh. so yeah that's pretty that's pretty startling i did not even really know that myself because I had spent so much time researching and working on this that I thought, of course, like Japan's in the top 10. They have such a systemic problem, but they're they not. They have a word for it. Yeah, they have a word for it. So, but it's not, they're not in the top 10. Um, number one is actually Mexico. So that was pretty interesting and pretty startling. So that is something that we don't talk about. I have never heard anyone talk about overworked culture in Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. South Korea is pretty high up as well. And South Korea, I've heard talked about, it's definitely on the radar. But I've heard Japan talked about with much more frequency than South Korea. And it's interesting because South Korea has the worst problem. And then beyond that, Russia is really high up there they are within the top five and that shocked me because we kind of have this notion that russians aren't hardworking because during you know the soviet communist times people were getting the same amount of money no matter what job they did so people slacked off so you know that's the whole american argument for why communism and socialism won't work a country that was once communist and had that built into their culture transitioned into quote-unquote a democracy and um into capitalism and ended up having a worse overworked culture than us and we tried to pride ourselves on you know being the model for capitalism and being a hard-working country that said we also have a worse problem than Japan. So it's very interesting because some countries I look at and I'm shocked to see that they are so high up there either because American stereotypes would have them be lower or because I just never hear about that issue there. That's that's fascinating that some some of these other countries that Japan doesn't even come close to the overworking problem in these other countries. And I know when we spoke about this briefly earlier, we, we both think that there's an element of portraying an Asian country as being exotic and different, and that Kiroshi, it's this unique, fascinating Japanese element of culture. They have a word for it. But as savvy, view, savvy listeners would, would notice, America has a word for it too. It's workaholic or workaholism. And it's, it's disingenuous to portray it as something unique to Japan. On the one hand, it's inaccurate, and it clearly is feeding into stereotypes about Asian people and Asian countries as being 
different and exotic and hard to understand, which is very problematic. Yeah, definitely. And I think another element of it is this idea of futurism in Asia, that Asia is the future. And while that definitely is true, I think that also plays a role into why people are looking at Asia and seeing it as this place where people are working themselves to death. And I think it's particularly interesting because we see emerging markets throughout the world. We see emerging economies, emerging industries throughout the world, but we're honing in on Asia specifically and we're focusing on their overworking problem when as I've explained before, there is this overworking problem everywhere. It's not unique to Japan. And so it really, as you said, feeds into this stereotype about Asian workers, Asian people, and Asian culture as a whole. Shifting gears for the, the last little section of this, this episode is it, you, you not only studied the problem of overwork culture in Japan, but also looked at some of the solutions, some the, both the ineffective solutions and some of the solutions that might actually be effective in this culture, in this environment. And I know when we had spoken previously, topics such as the the quote French work week had come up where it's the idea of working four days and counterintuitively it gives people more time for their personal lives and makes them more productive at work. So I was wondering if you could share some of your thoughts about some of these interventions and alternatives proposed to to an overworking issue. Yeah, definitely. In my piece, I mention Microsoft as a pretty big example of the four-day work week in Japan. So on Fridays, they give everybody the day off. They shut down operations. And so people quite literally cannot work. They cannot go in the office, they cannot have meetings, they cannot do any of their job. So people have to take the day off. And Microsoft found a 40% increase in productivity after they did that. And that coupled with some other reforms that they implemented, most notably limiting meeting times to 30 minutes and pushing for those meetings to be online as opposed to in person, really helped improve their working culture. But... As I know, Microsoft is an American company, so they are not as beholden to Japanese culture. And as a result, it's easier for them to pressure their workers or to rather encourage their workers to work less compared to a Japanese company that has this culture embedded in it. So in that sense, I don't think that the French work week or people have also looked at the Swedish model, which is six hours a day. I don't think those things would work because those aren't addressing the cultural issues. And because people can still technically work through that, people can still work more than six hours a day if they want to. And people can work that fifth day if they want to. It has to be that a company forces people to not work by shutting down operations and making it impossible to work. And that's something that I think is very difficult for a company to do because considering the economic conditions in Japan, because they are kind of dealing with a stagnant economy, it is very difficult for a company to justify shutting down operations and potentially losing a day's worth of profit for the sake of, you know, employee wellness 
whatever that may mean. However, you have to think long-term, you have to think about what the long-term benefits are gonna be of giving people that much needed day off and how that's going to increase productivity and how that's going to lead to more work being accomplished and thus more profits or better service or whatever your metrics would be for how successful your company is. So in that sense, I think the biggest step is that the government needs to work with these companies to implement these programs, whatever they may be. They need to push these companies to reconsider their business practices and to look into their company culture and to actively try to reform it from being this culture that promotes overwork, possibly to the point of death, to being one that promotes a healthy work-life balance. And that's very difficult. I also do note that beyond that culture, there also needs to be more people in the workforce. And Japan does have a shrinking population. And so some people have looked towards increasing fertility. So pushing women to have more children, but it's very difficult given the economy because a lot of women cannot afford to have children and they themselves don't really have stable jobs. So people then say, okay, you need to give women high paying better jobs, but there's a lot of discrimination based off of sex, based off of gender that occurs. And so women, because they are perceived to not be lifelong workers and that they're going to leave to have children are relegated to these part-time jobs. In a similar sense, young people are also pushed into this. They are seen as less skilled, seen as um, workers without the necessary experience. We kind of have a joke in the U.S. about how a lot of entry-level jobs say you have to have like three to five years experience to even make it to an interview. In Japan, it might be you need like 10 years of experience or something. It is very tough to get a job as an entry-level worker fresh out of college because there is that stigma and also because there is some issues with training. There are issues where young people aren't getting the necessary skills or aren't, learn aren't learning the necessary things to be successful in the workplace. So that means that Japan would actually need to also address that problem and the list kind of goes on and on as you look at different groups. If you look at the elderly, the issue is most of those people are high risk. They are the people who would break their backs. They are the people who would suffer a heart attack from overworking. So they need to be treated in a way that's going to be fair. They need to have laws that protect their health and well-being because technically they're not protected under the labor laws because they're working post-retirement. So it is very complicated whether the government chooses to promote women or young people or the elderly or a mix of those things. It's very tough to actually do that because you have more systematic and systemic problems that are keeping them from actually participating in the workforce. So that kind of covers Japan in the sense of that there's these two areas that the government needs to address, which is cultural and then this labor shortage. It's interesting because other countries have different things that need to be addressed. So for the U.S., the big issue is mostly the income inequality that we have. 
So overwork happens at all levels in the U.S. as well, but it happens more frequently and is more devastating in lower income communities. And so the reason why is because people have to work extreme hours to make ends meet. That's why people have proposed increasing the minimum wage or promoting other welfare programs, including pushing people back into education and retraining because they see those as ways that it can uplift people out of poverty or push them up the ladder, so to speak. This fight is something that in the U.S. isn't going to happen overnight. And the same thing is for Japan. Their fight is not going to happen overnight. In other countries, for example, Mexico, a lot of their problem is because of us. So our companies, our factories are going over there and are working them to death basically as slaves. They are making very little money and they're working very long hours because as those factories like to put it, those jobs are the best jobs. They're the most high paying jobs in their towns and villages. So even though people have to risk their health, they will do it because the scraps that they get from the factory is more than they'll get anywhere else. So it's the same problem and it's worse because there's a foreign entity that's doing it. And the Mexican government can try to regulate that, but it's also quite difficult because there's this balancing act of people feeling compelled to work that long because they have to make money and the government doesn't want to rob people of their jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's a very difficult and tricky issue. And I think there have been attempts to address it by establishing higher minimum wages in Mexico for labor jobs. Trump's updated NAFTA deal was supposed to increase the minimum wage for people working in automobile factories. It was an attempt to pressure these factories to come back to the United States because if the wages are the same, you might as well be in the U.S. But there's also outside factors such as the fact that it's cheaper to open up shop in Mexico than in the U.S. So just changing the rate which you, you know, pay people is not really going to do much unless you make it more economically attractive for people to actually set up shop back here. So there are a lot of systemic problems that plague the countries that I've mentioned, and it's something that can't quite be addressed by implementing a premium Friday or giving people another national holiday or throwing a $1,200 check at someone and telling them your problem is solved. There is a lot of issues with just doing that because it's very much putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. It doesn't actually treat the wound. Yeah, that was a a very poignant metaphor in your piece, band-aids for bullet wounds. Another fantastic metaphor you use is Sylvan Kuroshi is like playing a game of Twister where every, it's, it's such a mess that every move, even if it solves one problem, it, you're twisting it in a way that could create problems for someone else or make those problems worse. From everything I've heard, you're exactly right that Premium Friday, just it's not going to cut it to addressing this problem. It really, it needs to be attacked from multiple angles, from a cultural, from a labor regulation angle, even 
international relations, as we were just mentioning, play a significant role in shaping how a country deals with with this issue. So I I think it's it's a game of twister. You're right. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because when I was writing this piece, um, our editor our editor in chief, Milton, shout out to him, said to me, you should come up with a really interesting intro here to this final section. And I decided that I was going to compare it to Twi- to Twister. And at first, he didn't get it. He was like, I don't think that's going to work. And I was like, just, just go with it. So we went with it. And then he was like, yeah, actually, that works. So it took a bit of time to fully realize that analogy in the end. But unfortunately, that is what it is. And it, it makes it very difficult because in Twister, when you think of the game, someone always ends up falling. So that is really difficult. It's hard to keep everyone propped up and untangle them without somehow messing everything up. So that's the challenge. And that's the challenge with anything that is systemic and deep-rooted. And it's something that Japan doesn't deal with on its own. It's something that every country has on some level, except for probably Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Because they have Sweden and Germany and some other countries that have like the lowest uh, work week in um, the world. Those countries are lucky. They don't have to deal with that, but they have their Mm -hmm. own host of problems. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, it is this matter of trying to address the systemic problem in a way that is not going to push so many people down. Um, I don't know if it is something that can be addressed without hurting someone in a way, because there are going to be costs. For example, if they implement automation, that's going to hurt female workers and young workers and elderly workers who are in the jobs that would be automated. Um, Similarly, there's a lot of contention about increasing immigration for the reason that immigrants can quote unquote take your jobs. So there's a lot of issues with that. And then even choosing women or choosing young people that to in the minds of people who are currently working is a threat to their job, even though that's not necessarily what it is because there's so many open jobs and so much demand for workers. So it is definitely this strange thing and it's not new to Japan and it's not new to the world because the US has the same rhetoric of people saying this community or this group is gonna steal your jobs Mm -hmm. when in fact there's so many jobs around the country that no one is going to quite literally take your specific job. On that note, I. I think it's time for us to, to wrap up this very interesting discussion. I highly encourage everyone listening to go to NUPR's website and check out Beza's article titled Japan's Vicious Death by Overwork Cycle. It's, it's a fantastic read and it, it really got me thinking about this very interesting issue that is much more complicated once you really dig into it than you might initially think. So I just want to thank Beza for, for sharing her work and her insights with the New Perspectives podcast. Beza, do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience before we wrap this up? I just want to thank them for taking the time to listen if they made it to the end. That's great. I hope that this opens up 
some kind of interest into overwork, not only in Japan, but throughout the world. And at the end of the day, we are going to need innovative, smart people who are going to help forge this new work culture that has a better work-life balance, not just in Japan, but here in the U.S. and throughout. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you learned a thing or two about overwork culture in Japan and elsewhere. It was a pleasure to have Beza join me for my directorial debut for New Perspectives, and I highly recommend going to the NUPR website and reading Beza's piece for yourself. It's titled Japan's Vicious Death by Overwork Cycle, and you can read it online at nupoliticalreview.com under the global section. Finally, if you're a Northeastern student interested in being a guest on the show, feel free to reach out via email at nuprpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to have you on the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Take care.